welcome to Your Pursuit of Happiness, the podcast for people working in the Irish fintech and financial services industry. Let's get started. Uh, delighted to have Andrew Quinn back on the show. Uh, Andrew was probably one of our earlier podcasts back in in a previous life. Um, I'm sure we were all in a previous life back then. It was pre-COVID. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know what you call this existence we have now. But anyway, um, lovely to have you back on, on the Lovely to have you back no, on the podcast cool. again. No, thanks for asking. And yeah, it does seem like a long time ago when, when uh, you first asked me to do this. Probably at least three years, is it? More? Oh, God, I'd say it's more than that. I'd say yeah. it's more than that because I remember when when we met first. I met you in the the ball barista, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's DBS probably more like five, six. That's years a long, ago. long time ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I'd say it was about a year or two after that. It was definitely yeah, before cool. COVID, anyway. But uh, good, good to have you back. Um. So what what I was going to do actually, if you don't mind, is maybe just um tell me a little bit about your your background. So obviously you're in the education space now, um, but you, you haven't always been. So yeah, it'd no, be interesting I'm, for people I'm, to know. It's funny, the, the, the longer I've been in it, the more I reflect on how I got from here to there. Um, yeah. But I, I, I very much think of myself as um, an accidental educationalist. Um, and I quite like that word. Um, I fell into it very a- accidentally, of course, um, just over 10 years ago now. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about that journey if, if, if you want me to. But yeah. prior to that... Um, you know, when, when I when I graduated from college in Waterford, despite the accent, I'm, I'm a Dacia, the long way round. You know, my dad's from Waterford, mum's from Kildare. I was born in Birmingham, came back to Ireland when I was about 15, so I never quite lost that bit of brum in the accent. And the accent's just become more mongrel over the years. But when I left college, I went to London and I was lucky. Um, you know, I kind of wanted, I had a big interest in kind of history, economics, finance, numbers, you know. Um, my, my first proper job was Lehman Brothers a long time ago. And ah. I have nothing you know there's a lot of people now listening have, to this who won't even know. Yeah, yeah, they, they won't believe it, <laughs> but I have nothing to do with what subsequently happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was kind of lucky. I, I, I had a good boss who kind of was a good mentor, and he, he left um, to go to a hedge fund, and he was basically kind of running the back office of the hedge funds, and he kind of took me with him. And, you know, I, I had a lot of fun, and one of my favorite jobs ever actually is I kind of ran a repo desk for about two years, which was, which was real fun, you know, um, you know, basically financing, you know, a lot of bond positions. I then, I then got asked to go onto the trading desk um, and I moved to the Bahamas. I was in Bahamas for about eight years. Uh, people always think that sounds really exotic and fun, but I really was in a very kind of closed environment looking at trading screens five and a half days a week. Um but it, it was fun, and my two sons were born in the Bahamas. Um, and then, basically, I'm a bit of a cliche in a lot of ways. I, I sort of just got a bit burnt out with it. Um, you know, probably wish I, not wish, but probably could have stayed longer, probably could have made more money definitely out of it. But at some point after about seven or eight years, I just had enough of it. I just didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and I've always been a bit like that, never quite known what I want to do. But if I get to a point where I think, no, just not. This is not what I want to do. Like it's, I don't feel like I'm really um, achieving anything or contributing anything. And and a lot of this has really crystallised in recent years. Where I fast forward to where I am now, one of the things I really like most about what I do is 
I actually feel like I am trying to contribute something to society. Mm. And, you know, I, I often joke that even if you make a positive contribution to one person's life, like a learner or a graduate, that is a really, really great feeling, you know, and that is a bit selfish, but I kind of realized along the way when I started lecturing and then I started writing programs and I was at Dublin Business School for about eight years before PAT. Um, I just actually realized that I do think I have what approximates to a vocation for this. I just, I, I kind of really like what I do. And mm. I'm very fortunate now at PAT that um, the, the managing director of PAT, uh, PAT's owned, PAT Business School, I should say, you'll kill me for not saying that. PAT Business School is owned by Jerry Fahey and his wife. I knew Jerry from Dublin Business School. Jerry started PAT about six years ago, very focused on ACCA to begin with. And it still is. We're a platinum provider. Um, but Jerry had the vision, if you like, to ask me about three years ago, would I be interested in trying to diversify the business, particularly around all things fintech? And mm. we can talk about what the hell fintech actually means or doesn't mean mm. to people. No, that's nice. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, Jerry gave me basically a blank sheet of paper. So off you go. And, you know, today, you know, obviously been really lucky and, I have to say people like yourself, Paul, have been a big part of the journey. And you know many people who are on my so-called faculty. You know many people. Mm. We're, we're in the same sort of network. We know the same sort of people. And there's just so many good people out there. And I, I've been really lucky with people's generosity and support over a number of years. So I don't know. That, that's kind of me where I am today. Uh, so in terms of PIT Business School, then, what specifically do you do in terms of, like, courses and all, all that type of thing? Yeah. So... My background, as I said, is really finance. I'm a finance yeah. guy. I started lecturing um, about 10, 12 years ago. I started to hear this expression fintech being used a lot. And to me, it's always just meant financial services meets technology and technology changes the way financial services are delivered. So when I was at Dublin Business School, I, I did, you know, um, uh, design a master's program in fintech. And it was the second one in the country after NCI and it was very um, closely kind of correlated to a friend of mine at Strathclyde University, what he was doing, and it was the first one in the UK, actually, at the time. Um, so when I when I left, the thing that I think I really, again, benefited greatly from was um, I, have, I have a former colleague at DBS who became the chief operating officer at the Compliance Institute. Mm. And... Basically, my attention turned very much to risk and compliance. So I sort of narrowed down, if you like, a broader fintech finance focus. And, and I think the reason for that is, I won't mention any names, but I had a conversation about three years ago with somebody who basically said to me, Andrew, I consider myself a pretty experienced risk compliance professional. You know, I've been working in the industry X number of years. I just started working for what they referred to as a fintech. It was a payments company. And I honestly haven't got a clue what's going on. I just don't understand this operating model. I, I don't really understand um, how we are going about certain things in terms of, you know, our regulatory requirements. So I suppose I was lucky that I saw this opportunity that there was, um, I think, a great deal of demand for learning and training around risk and compliance and again brexit is a factor there's a, there's mm. a lot of other confluences of events if you like that was creating i think a demand 
Um, so I basically sat down and wrote some programs. The two major ones, we have a diploma in FinTech Risk Compliance, which we now actually now have a ba- uh, pathway into a bachelor's award. Mm. I, I had an open evening last night, first time I was able to really talk about it. Uh, we also have a diploma in AML, you know, what we call a FinTech environment. We have a number of other short courses. There's a number of courses that are close to being rolled out. Mm. But I think the focal point really is risk compliance type um, skill sets in a kind of fintech environment, by which I just mean a contemporary environment. Mm. I mean a more digital, cloud-based, data-driven, different types of business models, that type of environment and how that challenges um, the contemporary and I think future you know, risk compliance professional. And I also, and you're probably one of the people who have asked me this question, I always use the terminology risk compliance because I, I see the two things as very much two sides of the same coin. Like mm. some people say to me, why don't you just say compliance? Because I think if you're, if you're not compliant, you've got a big risk, you know? Um, mm. And I think risk management also is something I've always had an interest in, but it used to be more of a treasury risk management, yeah. market risk management, but I sort of, I think I've managed to transfer some of, I'm going to say skills, even though I'm always reluctant to uh, to admit that I've got any skills. Um, but I think I t- took a certain mindset that has helped me understand not just what are the risks, but how do you actually manage them? Because yeah. I think the risk compliance professional, I personally believe, is evolving into a much more of a risk-based type of mindset. Um, I love an expression that a friend of mine uses. I think that we need to think more about compliance by design. I think compliance needs to be embedded in the whole life cycle of new services and products. So technology is what really underpins a lot of that. And I suppose for me, ultimately, I've always been interested in how technology changes things. And I'm not scared of it, I suppose. That's one thing I've always been looking for. I, I don't... I don't run away from it. So, for, for example, just even to be really contemporary, um, the big hoo-ha around chat GPT, you know. Um, that's where I got all my questions, Andrew. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's just a good example at the moment because what I see, I, I, I heard about it early December. A friend of mine told me, like, you've seen this. Like, so the first thing I did was start testing exam questions and seeing yeah. how close it could approximate. And I actually rewrote all my exams before Christmas because I, I, I was kind of playing with it and I got a little bit absorbed. But what the point I really wanted to make is you can either embrace something and use it to empower what you do or you can try and ignore it, put, put up barriers and say, if you use it, you're going to get zero on your assignments. So I, I think in education, this is going to create a really interesting debate. It already has. But for me, it's an example. I want to embrace it. I, I think we can use this to further empower what we do in terms of developing skills for, for my learners. So that's just an example where I think technology, embrace it, work with it, see what the value is. And again, you and I have often talked about this, Paul. The ultimate challenge is, you know, don't go looking for problems. Use it to solve problems. I know that's a cliche, but I always say, Cliches are cliches because they tend to be true. And, 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 and like, so I know, like, we, we talk a good bit. I know you talk to other people that we both know in the industry and everything else. Um, you, you always seem to have your finger on the pulse in terms of what 
people are looking for or I guess they wouldn't bother coming to, you know, to, to a course yeah. with you. So you must have a sense of kind of where the compliance and risk profession is going um, within broad financial services, fintech, Web3, crypto, all of that kind of good stuff. Uh, curious um, to get your take on, you know, where are we going to be in five, 10 years time from a compliance and risk perspective? Like what's going to be important yeah. if you're um, starting off now, if you're mid-career, what, what do you need to know? Um, overall, I mean, it's a big question. Um, first of all, I'd say the only reason if I do appear to know what's going on or have so-called finger on pulse, it's only because I, I talk to a lot of people who are smarter than me and know more than me. But, but one of the things I, I, I am reasonably good at, I listen. I listen to people. You know, I got to... I, I know they're smart than me. I know they're going. They know what's going on. Um, I also think, as you probably benefit as well, Paul. That I think um, if you try to be a healthy part of the ecosystem and you're authentic in what you try to do, people actually will be more honest with you. So you'll you'll, you'll get better insights. So if that is the case, it's only because of other people. Um, in the bigger picture, the, the simple answer to me is: I think the compliance function. If, if that's even a way to describe it. Um, and I'm always careful with words and language as well. Um, I think it becomes more strategic. I think it just becomes more and more strategic in um, the business model, the operating model of any financial service provider. And I think that the other thing, the other big theme I think will be, uh, you know, an, an increasing adoption of so-called reg tech to provide solutions and to streamline a lot of traditional, what is still a little bit, you know, box ticking type yeah. of compliance. And I think something like, you know, AML and how suspicious transactions are reported is a good example where, you know, we can do a lot better. We can embrace technology, I think, to do a much more effective, um, you know, provide a more effective deterrent to money laundering and things like that. That's just one example. So I if if you're saying well, if I'm understanding you correctly, it, it's kind of saying that technology will replace a lot of the day to day, you know, stuff that has to be done manually at the minute, uh, and give more scope then for someone in the senior compliance role to be that kind of strategic partner to be more involved Absolutely. in the business. Absolutely, I, I I see um, an increasing recognition of the importance of you know that chief compliance officer. Yeah. Like I, I mean, like again. Just using my own background, Paul. Yeah, traditionally you think about the CEO, and then you sort of think, who's the next most important person? You probably think CFO. You know, you probably think it's a CFO. You might say CTO, maybe, or operating officer, maybe. I, I, I think the compliance um, compliance role—that's where it's evolving to. Mm. I, I think it's at the very top table and it's involved in every conversation about the business. You know, new product lines, new customers. You know, expanding into new markets. Um, you know, and again, I think um, if I may say so, I think Ireland is quite kind of, I think, well positioned to be to be uh, to take advantage of that because I do feel personally, and look, other people don't agree with me. Not a lot of people don't agree with me. Um, you know, I think the EU is setting high standards in a lot of areas. You know, whether it be, you know, I think even the recent events with you know, data protection, and I know it doesn't reflect terribly well on the DPC, but I think they're, they're trying to set a higher standard. 
I think DORA, you know, the new Digital Operating Resilience Act, um, is 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 going to be a really interesting journey over the next couple of years. But I think they're they're looking at the right problems, and I just think that, you know, the compliance role um, will become more and more strategic um, in, in in that evolution of, you know, a more digitized, data driven financial services environment. Um, mm. So I don't know if that answers the question entirely, but that, that's where I think yeah, you go. I think so. I think like if I think back to my experience hiring people in risk and compliance from 2007 to today, it's definitely changed. And it's cha- changed a few different ways. Like I remember meeting someone who was uh, in compliance and risk or compliance or risk. I can't remember at the time in, in a, an Irish bank that's no longer with us. And uh, <laughs> I kind of half jokingly said, do you mind me asking, what did you do? And he said, well, we were the four people in the corner who, you know, someone pointed at when the central bank came in. Uh, but that that's changed completely. But yeah. there's a big difference now between like hiring for a an established institution that maybe has some legacy issues from a compliance perspective or even from a technology perspective that yeah, they need yeah. compliance to be involved in to working with a fintech that's setting up something here or a new company that's setting up something here. Compliance is it obviously there, there's there's regulatory requirements to have people in the space or in those functions, but the approach to hiring is really different. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we need someone who's comfortable to push back and stand up and, you know, make sure that risk and compliance is absolutely boxed off. Absolutely. But at the same time to complement what we're doing from a commercial perspective. I see no, that I commercial mean, that, piece being that, really important. Yeah. I'm, I mean, that's actually going back to talking about so-called fintech and all the rest of it, that, that's always been one of the real tensions, hasn't it? H- how do you try to get the appropriate balance between innovation and regulation? Mm. Um, and I suppose for me over the last two, three years, Paul, that's been interesting because I probably have slid more across to the regulation side, yeah. if that makes sense. Whereas, you know, three years ago, I probably would have been a little bit more um, sort of... Um, you know, supportive of, you know, things like sandboxes and innovation and getting things to market quickly and stuff like that. And I'm not saying I'm not in favour of that, but I have become a lot more cognizant of the importance of effective regulation and therefore compliance. My, my touchstone is quite simple. I think it, it is ultimately about consumer and or investor protection. That, that's where it starts from, you know, for me. And I do think, you know, as we see a lot of product product innovation and obviously the whole, whatever we want to categorise it as, crypto, Web3, whatever you want to categorise um, the new kind of frontiers in terms of product innovation and how financial services delivered. I, I do think, and maybe it's because, I don't know, you get a bit older, I do, and maybe it's just been two or three years that we've lived through as well. It's been quite a turbulent period in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, that you know, consumer investor protection is is, is really critical. Um, and again, I think culture is another thing I talk about a lot. And I think some some of the so called fintechs, I think that's been a challenge for them. You know, getting the culture right between what you just described, the appropriate mm. level of innovation and markets, uh, get, getting getting products into market quickly, versus making sure that you have. I think, again, I use the analogy, the compliance person should be in the room the first time they start whiteboarding ideas, Yeah, in my opinion. And I think that's the way it's going to move. 
because otherwise I think you're just creating big business risk down the road. And I think that causes all sorts of problems. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's kind of what we're seeing now with more, um, more modern companies are going that direction because what's the point in developing a new product and then showing it to someone in compliance after to find a whole lot of issues with us. You may as well have them there. And, and look, I, I would say, I think, the, the, you know, the so-called fintechs are, are learning all the time, you know, and I think they are they are evolving to that. And look, in certain sectors of the ecosystem, there was more resistance, clearly, to regulation than others. And, you know, again, you know, some of the stuff gets a little bit philosophical, doesn't it? Like, you know, the whole decentralised kind of, you know, um, sort of debate, if you like, Um you know, can get a little bit, as you know, as well, polarised as well, Paul, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I personally, look, I, I, for the record, if you like, um, I'm a big fan of DeFi, I'm a big fan of smart contracts. Um, I want to see them being used to generate real economic benefit and societal, you know, um, good, because I think the, the, the original kind of philosophy around fintech for me was, deliver financial services in a way that's more accessible and deeper than is traditionally provided by the big institutions, the incumbents? And the answer is yes, we know it is. The answer is yes, we know we can do this. Um, the question now, I think, is just to make sure that we do it in a way that protects the consumer and the investor. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, it also takes time. I think another thing I've realised more and more over the years, Paul, is Financial services is it's it, 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 it's a it's a huge industry. It's fundamental to daily life. Um, again, I often like to joke with people that the one thing we all do every day, pretty well, maybe there's some exception, is you pay for something. You use some sort of method of payment every day. Um, there's obviously other financial services that you don't use every day, but they're very fundamental to your life. For example, saving, mortgages, insurance, whatever it happens to be, investing. Um, so financial services is, is is fundamental to, if you like, the human or capitalistic system. And I just think it's important to have the appropriate level of, you know, compliance, mm. protecting individuals. And I just think for me, going back to the educational bit, it's really interesting to try and think about, as you asked me, what the future compliance professional looks like. And another thing, actually, just to throw into the mix, Paul, which you might have an opinion on, you know, I hear a lot more about um, the importance of things like, you know, project project management, um, having, having the ability to manage projects or be involved in projects effectively, um, you know, business and business analyst type skill sets, mm. um, even reporting and communication yeah. skill sets. I hear, I hear a lot more around these sort of slightly more softer skills. And I think they become more important too in the future, for in my opinion. Yeah, I think so. And I think you're, you're, um, I think the potential for that chief compliance officer, head of risk, or, or whatever it is, to move in different directions now and move out of that function into more kind of traditionally commercial areas or operational areas. Um, I think because the, the role has become so, so broad, uh, that, that avenue is going to be there for people as well. Or I don't uh, think that, 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 that's that's a really that's a really good in, I I think um, insight because as I said I think traditionally people have a perception of what senior management looks like and what sort yep. of skills they have 
and, and I would argue that a really experienced compliance officer, might, they've got really strong skill sets. And I think, you know, you and I, another thing just to mention, because it's very kind of close to what I do, Paul, that you, you know I'm a great believer in transferable skills and I'm a great believer in people yep. being offered opportunities to transition. And I think there's lots of people who will come into, if you like, the compliance um, you know, uh, profession that will bring skill sets that will also enhance the value of, of what that role represents. Because to some degree, I go back to, you know, our old risk management, like, you know, you'd be calculating, you know, value at risk and you'd be calculating the probabilities of yeah. certain events and what it would do to your balance sheet. In a funny way, I think of it a little bit like that, Paul. I think that you can't always quantify it as much as effectively, although it's it's obviously de- it's open to debate how, how effective that quantification is. But I think the appreciation that managing your risks effectively and balancing the commercial, you know, the the, the risk reward commercially is more and more important in. I think, you know, even valuation of companies, you know, I think demonstrating really strong culture around your compliance is something that adds value. So whether you be, you know, a company that's currently going through funding rounds or whether you're an established, you know, financial services provider, I think that, you know, to some degree, again, it goes back to my old finance thinking, if you like, Paul, to some degree, you know, every company is in business to make money. Every company's in business to generate returns for its shareholders. I would argue that compliance is something that creates a lot of value. Yeah, I think, and you know, if you look at stuff that's happened recently in crypto in particular, um, that mistrust of of everything kind of crypto that's crept in recently, um, being able to demonstrate strong risk and compliance uh, or avoid big, big public events. Um, it's it's only going to help bottom line. You know, it's it's a no, necessary no, commercial I, activity. What what's what's you know? I, I think as well. Again, um, you know, I, I'm either ambivalent or agnostic about a lot of things, but I'm certainly not negative about things. I, I think much of what happened in the crypto universe over the last sort of 12, 18 months, it was like tradfi dressed up in a different way, and then you reach the almost comical. FTX story with really, really, you know, I mean, it was always, it got to the point, you can't really make that stuff up, you know, but a lot of what happened, I think was just, you know, the original sins of traditional finance, too much leverage, not enough liquidity, poor collateralization, you know, know, these are old stories, I think you saw saw them play out in a different way, Um, so I don't think, I don't think a lot of that really damages if you like the use case for crypto if you believe in it and i you know again i'm, I'm a great believer in things like tokenization i think we will absolutely move towards that and, and i think i know it's, a, it's an area that you're, you're very involved in paul i think the big thing about the so-called crypto universe is what are we talking about what exactly are we talking about you know what exactly do you mean by you know this or that and i think um People conflate things as well. That's another thing I've learned over the years, Paul, that a lot of people use a lot of words, and maybe I'm doing it now. They conflate a lot of different things, and you're left sort of thinking, do you really know what you're talking about? 
so uh, if if people are interested in learning a little bit more about yeah. what you do and on the courses where's the best place to go um I, I always like to say i love making new friends on linkedin so i'm easy to find on linkedin and linkedin's been really good to me we'll make sure um, there's a link in but, but obviously you can find us um you know if you google pat fintech you'll hit the website there's plenty of material there um but generally speaking you know um i'm very open you know to people you know, connect with me, send me a message. Um, I spend most of my life talking to people, whether it be, you know, uh, faculty, network, recruiters. Sorry, Paul, you're not the only one I speak to, uh, as you know. Um, you know, learners, prospective students, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm easy to find and I'd like to think I'm quite open source and easy to talk to. Okay, cool. Um, Andrew, it genuinely been a real pleasure having you back on again. Uh, I really appreciate your time. And uh, no, no, you're very good, Paul. Soon. Thank you. No, no thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks for joining us today on Your Pursuit of Happiness, the podcast for people working in the Irish fintech and financial services industry. For show notes and other goodies, go to www.toptierrecruitment.com forward slash podcast. That's toptierrecruitment.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and feel free to rate and review the show. We appreciate your support. See you next time.